Welcome to That You May Grow Thereby, a work of the Northern Kentucky Church of Christ. We are located at 18 Scott Drive in Florence, Kentucky. Our phone number is 859-371-2095. You can also visit us at www.nkcofc.com. And now, that you may grow thereby. Thank you for listening to That You May Grow Thereby. My name is Greg Littmer. I am one of the elders of the Northern Kentucky Church of Christ. And for this episode, I want to start by turning to Ephesians chapter 2, where we will look at verses 1 through 10. The Apostle Paul wrote the following, what I like to call the past, the present, and the future. The passage says, And you were dead in your trespasses and sins, in which you formerly walked according to the course of this world, according to the prince of the power of the air, of the spirit that is now working in the sons of disobedience. Among them we too all formerly lived in the lust of our flesh, indulging the desires of the flesh and of the mind, and were by nature children of wrath, even as the rest. But God, being rich in mercy because of his great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in our transgressions, made us alive together with Christ, by grace you have been saved, and raised us up with him, and seated us with him in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus, in order that in the ages to come he might show the surpassing riches of his grace and kindness toward us in Christ Jesus. For by grace you have been saved through faith, and that not of yourselves. It is the gift of God, not a result of works, that no one should boast. For we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. Paul was telling what God has done for us in election, redemption, and inheritance. However, unless we understand our condition before God, we will never truly appreciate what he has done. This is the bad news that prepares us for the good news in Christ Jesus. As Paul discusses our past, he set forth four characteristics that were true of each and every one of us. First, we were dead, as stated in Ephesians chapter 2 and verse 1. He was not speaking of our physical bodies, obviously but he was referring to our spiritual body. The inner man is dead. When Adam ate the forbidden fruit in the Garden of Eden, his spirit lost its intimate relationship with the Spirit of God. Like him, because of our own sin, all of us have been spiritually dead. Now, what does a dead man need more than anything else? He needs life. Jesus said in John 11 and verse 26, and everyone who lives and believes in me shall never die. Do you believe this? The death that we are talking about here is not the separation of one spirit from his body. It is the separation of one spirit from God. Eternal life is not just living forever. Souls in hell will live forever. But John 17 and verse 3 tells us, And this is eternal life, that they may know thee, the only true God, and Jesus Christ, whom thou hast sent. True life comes from knowing Christ, and in being in that close, intimate relationship with him as his own. 
When we stop and think about it, all around us are people who are dead, spiritually separated from Christ, who is the only source of life. The next point to be noted from Ephesians chapter 2 and verse 2 is that we were dominated. Who is the ruler of the kingdom of the air? It is Satan, of course. He is the present dictator of men and women who walk in spiritual death on the earth. The average person on the street would argue, I'm not dominated, I'm free to do whatever I want to do. And that is true. He is free to do whatever he wants. The problem is he does not want to do what is right. Satan has gained control of people's hearts and deceived them into thinking that they are free when in reality they are spiritually dead, enslaved to sin. We also notice from Ephesians chapter 2 and verse 2 that we are disobedient. The spirit of disobedience was mankind's original problem back in the garden. God gave Adam and Eve a choice, and they chose against God. People have been living in rebellious disobedience ever since. God says, love your neighbor, but people hate one another. God says, be faithful to your wife, but men cheat on their wives. God says, put me first, but people give God their leftovers. The human record is one of disobedience. Consequently, Ephesians chapter 2 and verse 3 shows us that we were condemned. Because of our wicked, sinful ways, because we willfully disobeyed what we knew to be right, we came under God's wrath. We were guilty without a doubt before the pure and holy God of the universe. We stood condemned to an eternity away from God to satisfy the demands of his justice. By our own actions and decisions, we were without hope and without any way of averting our own awful destiny. That is the bad news, what we have done for ourselves through our own actions. However, Paul then turned to the present, our present, and the good news of what God has done for us to get us out of our dilemma. There is no emphasis here on what we have done to save ourselves. It is all the work of God. Notice in verses 4 and 5 of Ephesians 2 that we have been spiritually resurrected. When a dead man is brought back to life, it happens through grace. What can a dead man do for himself? Nothing. Someone has to do it for him. That is why salvation is by grace. If God had not provided salvation for man, it simply could not have been done. How does a dead man receive life? Can it be done by example? Do we run and jump in front of a corpse and say, this is the way we living people do it? No, a good example is not adequate to solve a dead man's problems. It is not good enough to change the spiritually dead either. How about through the environment? We could take him to a nice part of town to be near people who know how to live life in prosperity. However, that will not bring him back to life. Still another option may be to try encouragement. We might talk to him. A well-known motivational speaker could come and challenge him saying, Get up! You can do it! Think positively! Obviously, all these have been sort of tongue-in-cheek because none of those approaches or any other like them will be successful. What a dead man needs is life. Nothing short of a divine resurrection can solve our real problem. God must be the one who makes dead men alive. 
We read in John 11, verse 25, Jesus said to her, I am the resurrection and the life. He who believes in me shall live even if he dies. Spiritually dead men desperately need Christ. My friends, Christianity is not a sick man getting well. It is a dead man receiving life. By the riches of God's grace, we are the recipients of new life. We have been raised from the dead with Christ. Also, Ephesians 2 and verse 6 indicates that we have been given rest. I say that because frequently in the scriptures, the idea of sitting represents completed work. For example, the writer of Hebrews pointed out the superiority of Jesus' ministry over the ministry of the Levitical priests in Hebrews chapter 10, verses 11 through 15, in the following way. And every priest stands daily ministering and offering time after time the same sacrifices, which can never take away sins. But he, having offered one sacrifice for sins for all time, sat down at the right hand of God, waiting from that time onward until his enemies be made a footstool for his feet. For by one offering he has perfected for all times those who are sanctified. Jesus' work in providing salvation was completed at the cross. So he sat down at the right hand of God as he was resurrected from the dead. Nothing was left for him to do to secure our redemption and inheritance because he has paid the price. His redemptive work is done. Now he can rest from purchasing our eternal life. Paul declared that we now sit with Jesus in the heavenly realms. We do not try frantically to secure our place in heaven as if we could provide it. In Jesus, eternal life is available. We can rest, figuratively speaking, in the one who said so long ago, it is finished. By the grace of God, our salvation was secured on the cross. But what about the future? With our salvation completed, we become God's trophies, if I may put it that way. Ephesians 2 and verse 7 says, In order that in the ages to come he might show the surpassing riches of his grace and kindness toward us in Christ Jesus. In the coming ages of eternity future, never ending, the redeemed will be on display before the heavenly host as trophies of the amazing grace of God. The angels will look and marvel at the exceeding greatness of God's mercy. They will stand in awe that our holy God could find a way to save those as unholy as we were. Consider the beautiful symbolic language of Revelation chapter 7 verses 9 through 12. John wrote, After these things I looked, and behold, a great multitude which no one could count, from every nation and all tribes and peoples and tongues, standing before the throne and before the Lamb, clothed in white robes and palm branches were in their hands, and they cry out with a loud voice, saying, Salvation to our God who sits on the throne and to the Lamb. And all the angels were standing around the throne and around the elders and the four living creatures, and they fell on their faces before the throne and worshipped God, saying, Amen. Blessing and glory and wisdom and thanksgiving and honor and power and might be to our God forever and ever. Amen. Ephesians chapter 2 verses 8 through 9 presents God's plan. If we are to be an eternal exhibition to bring God glory, then he must have a plan to accomplish our salvation that will enable no one to boast but only to glorify him. 
verses 8 and 9 tell us, For by grace you have been saved through faith, and that not of yourselves, it is the gift of God, not as a result of works, that no one should boast. What does it mean to be saved by grace? It means that God did not have to save anyone. He could have allowed us to die and go to hell eternally, and he would have remained holy. However, because he loves us, he freely chose to do for us what he was not obligated to do. Grace is the result of God freely deciding to do for man what man could not do for himself. The only requirement is a response of obedient faith. We must accept God's plan of salvation, believing that when we respond obediently to that plan, God will forgive us and give us new life. What is the plan that God asks us to accept? It is the same today as it was on the day of Pentecost when the gospel was first proclaimed by Peter. He said in Acts chapter 2 and verse 38, Repent, and each of you be baptized in the name of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins, and you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. God's plan was forged by his grace. It becomes a reality in our lives when we follow it by faith. Let us consider the purpose of God as set forth in Ephesians 2 and verse 10. While we await that time when we will be displayed as trophies of God's grace, what should we be doing? Verse 10 says, For we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. We're not saved by good works. Such things as attendance at all of the services, weekly observance of the Lord's Supper, following the commands of the Lord and leading a moral, respectable life will not get us to heaven. This does not mean, however, that God does not want us to do good works. In fact, verse 10 of Ephesians 2 teaches that God saved us by grace in order to do good works. My friends, in Ephesians chapters 4 through 6, Paul talks about the good works we are to do which will set us apart from the walking dead that surround us. God does not give us new life so that we can live however we please. He gives us new life so that we will bring him glory. That is the reason he chose us to be trophies of his grace. I don't know if you've ever thought of it this way, but ultimately everyone will be somebody's trophy, so to speak. The person who persists in rebellion against God and leaves this life dead in sin, will be eternally in hell, a trophy to the wiles of Satan. In contrast, the person who responds in faith to Christ becomes an eternal trophy of God's saving grace. The Hebrew writer expressed so beautifully what lies ahead in Hebrews chapter 4, verses 9 through 11, when he wrote, There remains, therefore, a Sabbath rest for the people of God. For the one who has entered his rest has himself also rested from his works, as God did from his. Let us therefore be diligent to enter that rest, lest anyone fall through following the same example of disobedience. Oh, the blessings and the riches that God has poured forth for us who will obey his will. Thank you for listening.